Welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. father taught me this. I didn't, I didn't learn this through Bible school. Um, I learned this through a season of fasting and prayer way back uh, right after Moses for some of you. <laughs> 1979, okay? A lot of you in this room, you, you weren't even breathing yet. But... Uh, I want to talk with you about interdiction and all of what that means. Lord, you've placed this message on my heart really deeply. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you would teach that your Holy Spirit will open eyes to see what they've never seen before. And God, I'm praying that this will be a life-changing moment for many in this room. I pray for many in this room, this will be a breaking through moment in their life, in Jesus' name. And for others, Lord, it'll just be a great confirmation in their heart. And I thank you and I give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And I hear an Amen. In 1979, I was really struggling with the whole traditional way of doing ministry. And I actually had the thought, if this is, if this is how it has to be for the next 50 years, I, I don't want to do this. This is, this is boring. And it just, it wasn't because... I didn't believe it was because it just seems so rote and so traditional and I'm not sure I was making a difference in the lives of people when Wanda and I first entered ministry we were evangelists and we were seeing lives changed we were seeing people saved we were people seeing she was seeing children saved by dozens and children's crusades and and uh, it was just, it was amazing. But it, it was an interesting time in the 60s and early 70s. I mean, I'd take my guitar down to the park and I'd strum and sing, Jesus, Jesus, whoa, whoa. And a crowd would gather and people would get saved. It was, just, it was just like shooting fish in a barrel. It was just crazy. There was just a thing happening across America. That was during the Jesus people days and the early days of the charismatic renewal. By the time we got into the late 70s and 80s, it was getting tougher. And we were in a situation where it was very tough. And, and I just said, God, there's got to be more than this. I know there's more. And that was the thing. I knew there was more than singing three songs out of the hymnal, praying, preaching a sermon, praying, and going home. I went into a lengthy fast and prayer. 
And during that lengthy fast and prayer, God kept taking me to Ezekiel chapter 28. And this verse in particular, I looked for a man who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I would not have to judge the city. And day after day, as God kept taking me to that chapter, sometimes multiple times in the day, I just began to say, God, what are you wanting to teach me? What are you wanting to show me? And he said these words, and it's going to be really familiar to you. I want to win this city. I thought, what does that mean? Does God win whole cities? And then I began to read about how in the 1800s, in the 1820s, Rochester, New York, in mass turned to Jesus and the, the policemen had nothing to do. In fact, the policemen were literally forming quartets. <laughs> the jails were all empty. The court dockets were all empty. The bars were all shut down. The whole city, Rochester, New York, had turned to Jesus. Then I read how in 1906 that Denver, Colorado was turned upside down and they literally had to close the entire business district because all the people were going to the church buildings and the pastors were being called, having to come to their church buildings in the middle of the week and people were, were filling the church building, standing outside, they had to open the windows, people standing outside, people were getting saved and the whole city of Denver, Colorado had turned to Jesus. Then I read how in 1910 the same thing happened in Atlantic City. That in Atlantic City at that time, a city of 56,000 people that they documented over 50,000 commitments to Jesus Christ. I just went, God. And God began to teach me this concept. In 2006, in Westport, Connecticut, a city where only 11% of the city attended any kind of a church. Now, you got to remember, that takes in gospel preaching churches as well as churches that maybe don't really preach the gospel. 11%. But in, in two weeks of meetings, Pastor Paul Teske had 1,500 commitments to Jesus Christ in two weeks. George Otis Jr., in his book, Informed Intercession, talks about the region of India named Mizram. Mizram is a mountain state of 750,000 people and it's mostly Mongol population. It's sandwiched between the Islamic state of Bangladesh, which is on the west border, the Buddhist state of Myanmar on the east and the south, and the Hindu states of Assam, Manipur, and Tripa on the north. 
Mizram historically was a very fierce headhunting people. But in the late 19th century, around 1884, Christian missionaries began going to Mizram and sharing the gospel. The beautiful thing is, by 1999, there was a declaration of at least 80% claiming salvation in Jesus Christ. And in some areas of Mizram, 95% of the people declared a conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what an amazing. Now listen to this, okay? And right now, there is no homeless people, no beggars, no starvation, 100% literacy rate, 1,000 missionaries have been sent out from Mizram, and although there are many different political parties, there are 40 members of their governing assembly and no matter what party they come from, listen to the requirements. They have to have a good reputation. They have to be diligent and honest. They have to be clean and uncorrupt. They have to totally abstain from the use of alcohol. They have to be morally and sexually unblemished. They have to be loyal to the law of the land. They have to be fervent workers for the welfare of the people. And they have to be loyal to their own church. Washington, D.C., listen up. <laughs> that wasn't nearly a big enough amen, folks. Just letting you know that right now, okay? <laughs> wow. How, how does that happen? How does a community experience spiritual transformation like that? Well, I could tell you about... Alamanga, Guatemala. In the 1970s, many people say that 80% of the male population was alcoholic. It wasn't safe for women to walk the streets at night. There was an extreme poverty. Though it was an agrarian community, I mean, think about it. 19,000 people was their population. Sounds like Hermiston, doesn't it? Mostly an agrarian community. But they only had one very meager harvest a year. But by 2,000, 90% of the community proclaimed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a born-again experience. They were having three harvests a year, and I've seen pictures. They raised carrots as big as my forearm. In fact, it was such a turnaround in their agrarian community that the United States Department of Agriculture were sending representatives to Alamanga to find out what they were doing. 
they probably didn't want to hear about how that almost all of their businesses are either named Holy Spirit business or Jesus Christ business. Or, you know, I mean, it was the, the whole community. When you see pictures of it, it's just amazing what went on. See, how does that happen? How does that happen? That whole communities can experience such spiritual transformation. You know what? A bigger question is, how can we, you and me, how can we help that kind of a spiritual transformation happen in greater Hermiston? Come on, amen? amen. And question that goes with that. Are the principles that make that happen applicable to home life, to marriage? To family relationships, to relationships with brothers and sisters, to parenting? And the, the wonderful answer is yes. Yes, yes, indeed it does. It's interesting because there are three unalterable, absolute principles that have to be in place if interdiction is really going to work. I like, I like how George Otis Jr. says it in his book. George is, uh, and I met George way back in the 1980s, and, and George for 40 years has researched community transformation around the world, both historically and over the last three to four decades in the United States and around the world. This is what he said. He said, community transformation is not an arbitrary event, but rather the product of a cause and effect process. The product of a cause and effect process. In other words, what he's saying is there are people who take seriously the principles of interdiction. But they don't just believe it in their head. They faithfully and diligently apply those principles actively. Come on. Amen. And that's principle number one. You have to believe, but not just believe. There are people that say, well, yeah, I believe in prayer. But do you pray? Well, not, well, kind of, yeah. Sometimes on the way to work. Uh-huh. Well, if you're still praying, now I lay me down to sleep. Prayers, you need to wake up and realize prayer is far more than that. Come on. And there needs to be more than just intellectual assent to prayer and believing in prayer. And that takes us to principle number two about interdiction, and that is they, it is believers who persevere until God's visitation, but they want more than just God's visitation. They want habitation. Amen. See, it's not just having God come and touch your family once in a while. It's more than just once in a while experiencing a goosebumpy feeling and, oh, God touched me today. It's more than that. It is I want God's manifest presence 
to dwell in my marriage, to dwell in our home, to dwell in our neighborhood, to absolutely take control of our community so righteousness is exalted and the sins of the world are driven out. Habitation. God's glory coming, yes, but habitation. Mm -mm. Here's principle number three. It's passionate, unrelenting, united prayer. Hmm. Let me say it again. Passionate, unrelenting, united prayer for the powers of darkness and the strongholds of darkness to be broken and banished. See, I think we become content with the powers of darkness. It's the old, it's the old saw. It's sin and evil is hideous. But seen too oft, familiar with face, we first endure, then embrace. See, I think we become content with the strongholds of darkness in our community. We become content with the strongholds in our neighborhood. We become content with the strongholds in our families. In fact, in some ways, we entertain ourselves with them. If you let that 70-inch beast in your family room curse at you and show you nakedness all the time, you're letting the strongholds of darkness just come dwell in your house. That's just how it is. You need to take authority. You need to banish darkness. Folks, we, we see, but see, here's what's happened. The church has become so familiar and so content with having sin around it that we just, well, that's just, that's just culture. That's just normal. No, that's, Scripture calls that sin. There's a reason Scripture speaks against observing nudity. There's a reason. There's a reason. In fact, Scripture says when you start giving your daughters to nudity, violence will increase in the land. Hello? When we started changing... Our, our laws and our cultural norms about nudity and stuff. Look what's happened to America. Come on, hello. Amen. Wake up. Hello. You know one of the quickest ways to shut down the drug trade and the human trafficking? Stop buying. 
Okay, I'll move on. See, we're talking about the power of interdiction. See, Jesus gave us authority for interdiction. Look at these passages of Scripture with me. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Here we go. Would you read it with me out loud? Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Continue the next slide. Whatever house you enter, say there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. That's the original 12. Now look here. Let's go to chapter 10. Still the gospel of Luke, but chapter 10. Read together with me. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Next slide, please. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Mark chapter 16, look at this. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What's the point? Jesus is giving authority for interdiction. Specifically, he is giving authority to his disciples for interdiction. Now, <clears throat> to really grasp this, we got to understand what is interdiction. Someone was asking that question, I'm sure. Okay? <laughs> well, let me tell you what Funkin' Wagnall Standard Encyclopedia Dictionary says. You ready? To prohibit. To debar authoritatively some action or right of use. To forbid a person to have or do something. Exclude a certain place or someone from participation in rites or ceremonies. Now, when you take that definition and you transport it into the three scriptures we just read, Jesus Christ is giving authority to his disciples to prohibit demonic forces from the right to use human lives for their work. Giving them authority to displace demonic forces from human bodies. Giving them the right to forbid demonic powers 
from working any further in a particular location. Okay? Such as when Jesus went to the region of Gadara. Could you please hand me my bottle of water? Thank you. When Jesus went to the region of Gadara, which is on the east bank of the Sea of Galilee, it is between the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee on the east shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and the Golan Heights. That was the region of Gadara. And he went there. That region was, was also known as the Decapolis because there were 10 Roman communities in that region. When Jesus arrived there, one of the strong men of that area was known as Legion because he had so many demons inside of him. Jesus took authority over that. When he took authority and set that man free, that man became an evangelist for Jesus Christ. And a few months later, Jesus came back into that region. When Jesus first came and set Legion free, they commanded Jesus to leave the region. They didn't want him there. When he comes back a few months later, they are waiting for him. They want him. They're lining the streets with people in need for him because they know that Jesus Christ was transforming that community. Jesus kicked the demonic forces out of that region. Interdiction. But we got to look at something. There's a progression here. Go back, please, to the Luke 9 scripture for me, would you please? Then he called his 12 disciples. He's giving the original 12 disciples authority for interdiction. Go to Luke 10. Look at the progression. Go to the next scripture for me. <clears throat> After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. Now he has 82 disciples that he has given authority to interdiction. Watch this. Now go to the Mark 16 passage. Look here. He said what? He said, those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. Now He's talking to all disciples of all generations, of all nations and regions of the world. He is talking to you and to me, and he is saying, I'm giving you authority for interdiction. Come on, give Jesus a praise. Come on. Come on, give Jesus a praise. This should make you really, really happy. Because Jesus is saying, you don't have to put up with it. What level of authority did Jesus give? Well, this is really curious because what did he say? He said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Now, when you, when you first read that, you, you probably immediately think about the fact that he's talking about the devil and fallen angels because the devil is called that old serpent in Scripture. And we know that when he first appears in the book of Genesis chapter 3, he is in the form of a serpent. And so we can immediately recognize 
He is saying, I'm giving you authority over the devil and over the fallen angels. But what about serpents and scorpions? What about that? Well, demons. I have seen multiple times, I've seen demons appear as frogs. I've seen them appear as gargoyles. I've seen them appear as dragons. I've seen them appear as, uh, as uh, vultures attached to the back of people with their talons in the backs of people and the shoulders of people. I mean, I've seen them in all shapes and forms. And so when he talks about serpents and scorpions, he's talking about demons and he's talking about fallen angels. I'm giving you authority over the powers of darkness. And then he repeats it. And over all the power of the enemy. But you see, here's something that we need to understand. He's also speaking in full agreement with Psalm chapter 8, 4 to 8, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when he said to Adam and Eve, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to take dominion. I want you to rule and take dominion. Psalm 8, 4 to 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou dost crown him with glory and honor. Thou dost make him a little lower than the angels. Thou dost put all things under his feet. Hebrews chapter 2 quotes that passage and then says, in that it says that he put all things under his feet. He left nothing that was not put under their feet. So when Jesus says, I'm giving you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, Jesus is saying to you and to me, I'm giving you the authority that God gave in his original design for mankind because God meant for mankind to have all authority and rule over Lucifer and all of his kingdom and power of darkness. I never meant for mankind to be subject to them and to be ruled by them. I meant for mankind to rule over them. Wow. Hallelujah. What authority did he give us? And nothing shall by any means harm you. So when Satan comes along and says, I'm going to kill you. No, you can't, you can't kill me. You don't have that kind of power and authority over me. You don't. You may try, but you don't have that kind of power and authority over me. Jesus Christ in me. Listen, dear ones, that's why the scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Come on, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So how does this work? I better hurry. How does this work? Jesus said, in my name. We pray in his name. Giving us his name. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In my name, they'll cast out devils. Jesus' name is is above every other name that has ever been on planet Earth. Any president, any prime minister, any monarch, any CEO, I don't care what Bill Gates and, uh, and uh, these others think that they have, 
and the power and control that they think they have. I don't care what George Soros thinks he has. I don't care what the World Health Organization thinks they have or what the UN may think they have. Folks, I am telling you, none of those powers have authority greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them are subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I pray, we have the authority that is above every other name because Jesus Christ, in his word, in his own words, it's in red in my Bible, it should be in your Bible, when he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, he is giving to you and I the power of attorney to use his name against the powers of darkness to forbid them from doing any more work in your family, any more work in your marriage. He cannot build a stronghold in your home, in your family, because Jesus Christ commands him to be banished by the authority and power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name above every name. That beats any now I lay me down to sleep prayer you can think of. And don't whine at God. God, look what the devil's doing. It's so bad. It's so awful. God's sitting there going, I see it. Why are you letting it happen? No, really. Why are you letting it happen? Anybody ever seen the old Bob Newhart? Stop it. <laughs> Come on. Don't let the devil beat up on you like that. Use the power of his name. Jesus lives in me, and Jesus has defeated you, and I command you in the authority of Jesus' name. Stop now. You will leave. Come on. Interdict. Interdict. But listen, it does, it, sometimes it's not just one time. Remember Daniel? Daniel had to pray 21 days. He got the answer. took 21 days. But he persevered. Remember? Remember one of the principles is you must be willing to passionately and unrelentlessly pray and remove the power of darkness. Amen. And sometimes it just takes a lot of... I Listen, no. The answer is no. No. I love what Revelation says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at winacity.com. 